You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals' weekly look back at what's been happening in the news in Sweden. I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and on this week's show, we're going to talk about a hotly disputed mining project on indigenous lands. We'll also discuss the results of a poll we held this week on queue jumping in Sweden, and we're going to look at the kind of culture shocks people can experience when moving to Sweden. To tell us about those, we have a guest with us today, Aradna Varma. And Aradna came to our attention recently when we saw her on TV in the final of the TV4 talent show Talang. And I'm also joined, as is customary, by Becky Waterton, Richard Orange and James Savage. Have you been up to anything interesting this week, James? Yeah, well, I've just been sort of really for it feels like the first normal week since the pandemic i've been out meeting people going out after work going to meetings and it was quite fun i met one person i met this week was our columnist on germany brian melican who came up here and it was fun to meet him and see the and 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 see the shock on his face when he was seeing how normal everything was in Sweden when things are still very abnormal in Germany. And he's got a good article about that actually on um, the German site this week. So I recommend you go and look at it. Excellent. And how about um, Richard and Becky and Mama? Yeah, I, uh, I've mainly just been planning. I'm traveling to the UK this weekend to go and see my parents. So that'll be nice. Another another post-COVID activity. So it'll be interesting to see what people are doing there. Yes, with, with us, we've got, we're starting work again on the, on trying to get, trying to get our summer house working for, the, I think, the fourth summer in a row. So I was out on the weekend scooping leaves out of a ditch so we could stick a power cable in it. I think your summer house story, that, that just shows how Swedish you have become. That I know, <laughs> I know. Could no not be yet. more Svensk. <laughs> Aradna, welcome to the podcast. Hello and good morning to everybody. So as I mentioned, we saw you on TV this month because you were in the final of this show called Talang with Indis Kvika. Can you tell us about uh, what Indis Kvika is and how you came to be on Talang? So Indus Fika has been a very active group since 2019 and it was formed by uh, Ranjit and Vijay uh, who are the founders of this team and the idea was to reach out to the uh, audience here in Sweden uh, and you know to do a lot of dance covers and you know spread the Indian culture through dance and uh, you know all of us love that kind of dancing here you know especially uh, you know who are coming from India but the idea was to reach out to the Swedish audience as well. Uh, they came up with this name called Indus Fika. Uh, 
uh, you know, because they wanted to have an amalgamation of Indian and Swedish traditions both. So that's how the name was coined. And uh, since they started in 2019, I think it was a smaller team. But then more and more people joined. Uh, and that's how it became like a big, uh, you know, uh, group, dance group. And eventually it turned out to be a big family. We were reached out by uh, the vice mayor from Stockholm uh, last year for the World Culture Museum. And uh, it went uh, like a very amazing show that time. And uh, then we got reached out by the TV for people that, you know, they want us to come and give the auditions. And uh, that's how we ended up in Talang. It's a, hu- it's a hugely popular show. What was it like being in the final? Oh, uh, I think it was an amazing feeling. All of us were super excited. We were nervous, but uh, we wanted to live every moment of this opportunity because this is a lifetime opportunity, right? You don't get this very often, especially... Uh, knowing the fact that, you know, you're coming from different backgrounds and uh, everybody moved here for a certain purpose. And we did it as a hobby, as a passion. But uh, this, all these things, and nothing was driven by a money motive. We did it because we liked, we enjoyed doing it and we wanted to spread more of Indian culture in here in Stockholm. So getting this opportunity in itself was a huge thing, you know, winning or losing was the second part of it. But uh, the fact that we made it this far, I think we, we, we were the winners already. And going, going back a few years, um, why did you move to Sweden in the first place? Um, so uh, I moved to Sweden in 2016 and uh, I moved here for work. And uh, since then, I think it has been a very interesting journey. Um, right now, I'm working as a project manager for one of the, for one of the banks here in Sweden. But yeah, uh, I think it was mainly for work. And uh, then I, I have my family here as well, my brother and his wife who are living here and uh, my part of family is in Mumbai right now. And what kind of what kind of expectations did you have before you moved to Sweden and was it an easy transition or did you experience any sort of culture shock along the way? Uh, I would say it was somewhere in between. Um, the part uh, where I say easy transition is of course I had familiar faces here. I, I knew um, of course I had my brother then I had some people who I knew but when it comes to culture shock yes I, I would definitely say I had experienced <laughs> A lot of them myself. Uh, I mean, to list some of those would be, you know, uh, the the huge difference between, you know, the winters and the summers. Uh, it it took a while for me to understand, like, what is going on. <laughs> you know, it's it's dark forever during winters, and it's so much of light during summers, and it. it certainly took me a while to understand that heaters are your best friends during winters and the dark curtains are your best friends during summers. So you need to, you know, fix those. Um, that was the one thing. And uh, apart from that, uh, <laughs> as funny as it may sound, but it's true, the, the government owned uh, system Bulagat. Uh, and uh, it was it was quite an interesting thing that, uh, of course, uh, alcohol is legal in Sweden, but it's still controlled by the government. Uh, so you you have to be on your toes all the time that, okay, if you are planning something, you need to also plan that, you know, how much alcohol you need to buy because they are open for certain hours uh, and they're closed uh, during the weekends as well. So, yeah. Oh, be careful. We're going to get James going now. Oh. This is this is one of his favourite topics. <laughs> 20 years and I'm still not used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, that brings me to the other point, which is you have to plan. You know, and I think Swedes love to have their routines planned, you know, uh, in order to, you know, get an appointment or something You ha- or maybe travel, even even traveling. So uh, everything is blocked in the calendar well in advance. So that's how I think everything is sort of related. But uh, 
these are i would say it it was a culture shock because you know this is not very often from from where i come from uh from my homeland so and uh, it's been quite an interesting you know sort of a journey for me since then yeah but it sounds like it was it was manageable there was there was nothing that ga- that um gave you such a shock that you got on the next plane back to mumbai no i have survived <laughs> it's been 6 <laughs> years and uh, i i kind of uh, uh, appreciate uh, i would say some of the culture shocks uh, that you know you kind of don't get to see uh, elsewhere but uh, it's very much uh, evident here like you know i mean there's a gender ba- gender balance um, and it's a very uh, feminist country as well at the same time and uh, you know uh, everything like uh, there's also a thing that you know the complete and absolute regard for privacy uh, you know uh, Swedes absolutely love their privacy you know i mm. mean it might turn out that they come out as a very reserved sort of community uh, which can be true to a certain extent but it also depends on how much effort you put in to yeah. you know be a part of this society uh, how much you want to gel in how you know if you if you're able to learn the local language you i think you'll be very much welcomed and i think this is pretty much the case almost in all of the countries i would say mm. yeah. yeah i think um Catherine who was uh who was a reporter at the local before I was she wrote an amazing article about um when sustainable lager started doing home delivery and the delivery man arrived at like 8:01 p.m. was at her door and was like I'm really sorry I can't give you your parcel I'm not allowed to hand this over because it's past opening times and I will actually lose my job and it's just so swedish it's ridiculous <laughs> Rules is rules. Yeah, also like the resources that went into him driving like just because that one minute was late, all of that money wasted. What surprised me most about Sweden is how comfortable they are with silence. You know, in in Britain, I don't know how it is in India, but in Britain, you know, basically if if it's silent, someone tries to fill the silence with noise <laughs> and say something and do something, anything, small talk. Whereas in Sweden, I always thought that, you know, when I when I was watching Bergman films back in England before I came here, I was like God, Bergman films are so weird. People are just quiet the whole time and they go for it'll go for minutes without anyone saying anything. And then they'll just say, "Oh, I'm so miserable." And then and then they'll be silent again for 5 minutes. And I was like, well, "Strange films." And then I was like, "No, no, this is just Sweden. <laughs> this is how yeah. this is how this is how this is how people are." Have you learned have you learned to embrace it though? Uh, a bit, a bit, but I still find it a little bit weird. I still want I still want to I still want to fill the gaps. And but my, my husband always says, "Well, if you've got nothing important to say, don't say anything at all." I'm like, "Oh, Right. Okay. I suppose you could look at it like that. <laughs> But then that's that's also reflected in the Swedish word for small talk. It's like kallprat. I've even heard dödprat, like cold yes. talk or dead talk. Mm. It's like why why should you say something if it's not important? You're not why contributing bother? anything. Yeah. Just be quiet. And and also the Swedish talk for the Swedish word for silence, tiger or, yeah. or tig. I read I read this novel by Kerstin Ekman and the main character, like almost every social interaction, it just goes ja tig. You know, I I I I, I stayed quiet. I stayed quiet and and in swedish it's a kind of active decision you know it's not like you're in english you would feel I'm, i'm there's a vacuum i'm not doing anything but but in in sweden if you if you you're tig it's like i decided to adopt the position of silence and it was you know it, you are doing something it's a, it's a decision but maybe that's the thing with sweden the swedish culture takes take, takes the awkwardness out of silence it isn't an awkward thing isn't isn't an awkward thing in a conversation you just you're just quiet for a while yeah. and then you say something i definitely thought that when uh, when i first started dating my now husband who's swedish I was like, oh, is this an awkward silence? I don't know. He's very quiet. <laughs> is he enjoying this date? Like, what's happening here? And then now I know him. It's just, yeah, he just didn't need to say anything at that point. It was fine. 
This show is made possible by members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce independent journalism, and we'd like to thank everybody who supports us through membership. If you're not yet a member, I'd urge you to check out our excellent introductory offer for Sweden in Focus listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. If you've been following the news lately, you may be aware of the controversy surrounding plans for an iron ore mine in Gallok in northern Sweden. James, can you fill us in on this story and why it has come back into the news this week? Well... This mine in Gallok or Kalak, as it is in Gallok in Sami and Kalak in in Swedish, um, this has sort of pitted two very strong competing interests against each other. On the one hand, you have the Swedish mining industry. Sweden is the source of 93% of the iron ore mined in the EU. Four mines in Sweden produce 93% of the EU's iron ore. So you have that on the one hand, very big financial interest, but also sort of strategic interest. I mean, the world needs iron ore. On the other hand, you have the uh, the Sami people who in this area of, of, of Galok or Kalak have historically and still heard their reindeer, which is, you know, a key integral part of, of the Sami culture. And this this mine that is planned in 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 Gallock by the um uh, by by British mining company Beerwolf Mining, they say and environmentalists say would um would disturb these reindeer um, grazing areas and would 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 cause in, environmental damage. Now this is particularly sensitive because of the history of um, the Sami people. The Sami are Sweden's indigenous people um, living in the northern part of the country um, in what's historically known as Lapland is what's known as Sápmi in the Sami language. And this and, and, and Sápmi stretches not just it's not just in Sweden, it's in Norway, Finland and actually Russia as well. And the Sami have for centuries been the subject of discrimination and persecution. And you know this this went on until well into living memory. Uh, so you have um, the, the the Sami have been the subject of sort of so-called racial research, where sort of eugenic-style research, where they were, um, there was even a, a Swedish um, racial biology research institute that was that, that would do things like measure their skulls to see how 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 they how they differ from ordinary people. There was there were forced sterilizations that went on um, until as late as the 1970s. Now, what has happened has is that the Swedish government has gone against the Sami. And the environmental um, campaigners, including uh, Greta Thunberg, who's, um, who's who's spoken out on this issue, and the UN, and the U, and the U, and 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 the UN. But uh, but the Swedish government has said that this mine, they, they've said that it can go ahead, or, or or what they've done is they said that the process for approving this mine can go ahead. So now it will go um, to the environmental court that will consider environmental issues, but also um, some of the the issues surrounding the Sami's rights as indigenous people. It's it's not been easy to be Sami in Sweden and in and in other neighboring countries um, um and yeah like as 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 uh, James said there's all of the kind of race aspects and all of these aspects i mean even i think it was even last year or maybe even this year there was a controversy in the news where um i think it was documents from this uh, racial biology institute there were pictures of naked sami people people are taking pictures like with animals like to kind of study their bodies and how they were different from Swedes. And these pictures are available in the public archive. You can just look look them up in the in the um, you can just look them up in a museum and they're they're right there. And I th- I think as far as I remember, they were pictures of people that are still alive today. And obviously these Sami people said, hey, we don't really like the fact that you've got naked photos of us or our ancestors. Like 
on display that are in the public archive. And the Swedish government came out and said, yeah, but this is a matter of the public archive. We can't censor things from the public archive. It's a matter of public interest. It's just, just the fact that the state are saying, no, sorry, we can't take away photos of you naked and of your naked ancestors in a way that kind of portrays you as animals that we were studying like a like a research object. I think, yeah, there's definitely still aspects of the way that Sweden treats the Sami people that are racist and that kind of reflect its colonial background. And Richard, you were you were in um, Sápmi recently um, interviewing people there. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I went, I'm, I was doing something on the clash, not, not so much about the mine, but the clash between um, reindeer herding and and green developments like wind farms, which are also you know extremely disruptive for um, for for herding. Because I mean, the, I think there's there's um, studies showing that reindeer won't go within sort of five kilometres of a wind turbine. Which, when you're building these massive wind parks that they're building at the moment, is 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 actually for reindeer herding is worse than a mine because you're losing a huge whole mountain, a whole rather it's it's a lot it's actually a lot potentially a lot more disruptive but anyway i went to one of these um uh, carrels where they where they separate reindeers from different families you know and it's, a, it's which is a fantastic thing to see i mean th- th- you get hundreds i think maybe like as as many as a thousand reindeer just going round and round in a circle and then they just pick out the ones that have um a mark cut into their ears but anyway it so happened that the family that the that the reindeer herding district that was running this Corel was actually Yakukoska, I think it's called, which is um, which is the one that is affected by the Gallop mine. So Rickard Lanter, who's the the chairman of the of the district, who's the, the 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 people affected by this mine, he he like it was kind of interesting. He like cleared some snow to make a kind of blackboard out of the snow, and then drew a sort of map of his uh, district and said, "Well, the mine's right here in the middle, and if they build it." then it's going to be disruption either side and which basically splits our herding district in half. So we'll no longer be able to take the reindeer from the summer pastures to the winter pastures without using trucks or by going through neighbouring territories. And if we do that, it, it means we're not following the same patterns we've followed for hundreds and hundreds of years. It will disrupt. It's not just a slight disruption. It will disrupt the entire way that we do it. And, and they already, I mean, the Sami already use trucks you know, very often. I mean, it's, it's their main way of moving reindeer, From to be honest, is they herd them onto trucks and then drive them to, to, to a better pasture. But, but they they felt that it was really disruptive. And in, interesting, his sister, who's a lawyer, who's, who's the lawyer for the community, was saying that if, if Gallup goes ahead, it means that all of the promises from for, for all projects for the Sami community are, are kind of worth worthless because there is no clearer example of something that does disrupt reindeer herding so if, if, if it doesn't get stopped for this then it won't be stopped for anything that was her that was her argument again this reflects the nomadic status like if if they were reindeer herders that had a massive ranch that was owned with fences and a building in the middle then i think it would be a lot more difficult for the government to say oh well we're going to build a mine here in the middle of your land that you own that you have a fence around but because they're nomadic and it's because it's land that they've used but not owned in a legal sense. It's very difficult to prove, oh, but we have the right to use this. I mean, under the reindeer law, they have a right to it. So so, so it, it, they have this kind of secondary level of ownership where they have the right to graze over their whole territory. And 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 while I was there, it was actually, it was it was kind of interesting, actually, because they had picked up some of the reindeer and they had released them somewhere. And it was in someone's, basically someone's garden of a new villa development in Lulio. And the, the owner had come out and said, this is my land. What are you doing? You can't dump like 100 reindeer on it. And, and they said, no, it's not your land. You know, this is, you don't understand it. It's your land 
for these purposes. But when it comes to reindeer grazing, it's as much ours as yours. So, so the land rights issue is really crucial, is, is they have this sort of, they have a right, but it's a very weak right, yeah. because whenever the government wants to do something, they always lose. I mean, <laughs> they never manage to stop any project yeah. at all. It's like with this mine and with the, with the wind turbines, like on paper, you've not removed their right. You've not said, OK, you no longer have a right to graze your reindeer here. But in practice, you have removed that because the reindeer don't want to graze near a, near a wind turbine. So it's that way of removing, removing rights without legally doing it kind of in a back doorway, I guess. And it was, it was interesting, actually, for, for, for this article, I interviewed Mayor Testernavi, who's the new leader, one of the, the new leader of the Green Party. And I said, this threatens your entire green transformation of the industry in northern Sweden. Wind turbines are threatening the Sami way of life. And without wind turbines, you can't have North Vault and you can't have green steel and you can't have all of these green things. And she said that, oh, well, we've got a new consultation law which came into power in, in March, and it's a Green Party policy, which gives the Sami which forces all all these processes to consult with the Sami, but crucially, it doesn't give them a veto. So I don't think. I mean, so so and 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 she said we can find places for wind turbines that aren't so crucial for the Sami people. But if you talk to the Sami people, they say it's all crucial. You know, so so every every we we graze over the entire area. There is nowhere that is not important for us. So so I don't think there's much room for compromise. But wasn't it in January 2020 that they won a certain uh, rights against the government uh, and they kind of had more uh, power to go ahead with their, you know, hunting and fishing. But this was this was kind of a breakthrough decision in Jan 2020. And the reason, uh, uh, you know, why we had this conversation was, uh, I remember we were in Kiruna last year during uh, midsummers, and we, we had hired a local guide for, for you know, to show the things around and everywhere. And we also went on to live in one of the Sami tents and, you know, it was a part of uh, the trip that we did. And there was this guy um, who kind of, you know, he gave up everything or the job and everything and he started doing uh, the reindeer hunting. Uh, probably his ancestors somewhere had a link with the Sami. And uh, he, he, he highlighted those things that, you know, how hard it is uh, for them, you know, to do this kind of reindeer hunting with all of the uh, developments that are happening in the background. And they, there's very few of them who's kind of left right now and, uh, you know, being with such minorities and uh, and the decision that came in 2020, it certainly added some kind of power to them and uh, they, you know, uh, won that uh, battle against the government wherein they were allowed to do some uh, openly the, the reindeer huntings and the fishings as well. So they, it kind of preserved one of... Uh, uh, their interest. But again, with the latest developments around the uh, mine and everything, I think that probably adds adds an impact to that. Mm. And that's that's one of the things I saw when I was up there is there's more there's there's a rising number of Samis who have been become Sami who have educated themselves as lawyers and 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 are coming back from Stockholm or wherever they've been working and f fighting these cases. So, so the Gearjas case, that's the one you were talking about, that's really, it's made the, 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 the community much more optimistic and, 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 and um, given them a sense of power. But that, that judgment can, could theoretically apply to all of them, every single one of the, uh, of the districts. So I think there's going to be a lot more lawsuits on the back of that Girijas judgment, which will seize back control of fishing and hunting rights. And then maybe maybe they'll fight other cases on, on other issues. 
This podcast is free to listen to, but if you like what you hear and are not yet a member of the local, please consider joining. By subscribing, you get the latest news from Sweden that impacts you, essential practical information and advice on life in Sweden, and unrestricted access to all editions of The Local. Please check out our membership offer at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer to find out more. Uh, moving on, for our listener poll this week, we asked you if you have experienced people jumping queues in Sweden for services like education, housing, healthcare. And 60% of you said no. Uh, 40% of you said yes. Now, these are areas where there are systems in place that are supposed to ensure that everyone is treated fairly. But in the case of housing, for example, immigrants are at a huge disadvantage when they're up against people whose parents maybe put them in the housing queue at a very young age. But another obstacle that I know you've encountered, Richard, is that people who know the systems have also found ways around them, which is obviously more difficult if you're new to the country. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the time that I really encountered this was when I was trying to get my daughter into daycare when when she was like one or something because at the time there was a massive shortage of daycare places in Malmo and people were being given places you know way outside the city and um, you know in in very overcrowded um, there was a baby boom in the city at the time and and so we got signed up to all of the different housing cooperatives you know you send an email and get on their their queue it's supposed to be a queue system and we never got an answer no one had, we never got a reply it just seemed like completely pointless but then finally when i did get get an answer i was told that she was my daughter was next on the list i went there and witnessed quite a close friend of mine now completely outmaneuver me and sort of sort of work the system and I, I could just see her operating and, and chatting to the right people and I was kind of powerless to, 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 to kind of to, to compete and and and, she, and her son got the place and then later on she had moved to another daycare and she offered us a place because and it turned out that the queue system in this daycare which is you know it has you know is very very sought after it was completely illusory. <laughs> they just they just said, oh, we've got another place. You know, oh, do you know anyone? Oh, yeah. And, and, and no one looked at the queue list. All these thousands of parents sending in emails. It was completely pointless. You just had to know someone who had a kid there and then you could get a place. And I think that that's something that maybe not to the same extent, but it, 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 there are similar things that the reality in Swedish society is a lot more often like that than you might think, that, 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 that people on boards and people in positions sort of sort of get their friends in and people pull strings and the appearance that everything's done in it or with orderly queues is often not not yeah. matched by the reality or even the fact that you have to know there's a queue in the first place like if you find out oh i've got a job in sweden i need to move there next month and then you get there it's like okay how do i get a rental apartment it's like oh you have to sign yourself up for a queue oh, you should have done it 10 years ago and then maybe you'd have a chance of getting something within the next <laughs> yeah, five years. Like, great, how was I supposed to know this? Where was this? Where's the quick queue for people that didn't realise they were going to be here 10 years ago? Like, It was interesting that 60% of, of people said said no. Do you think maybe it takes a few years before you really realise what's going on here? I think yeah. a lot of it is not necessarily that Swedes jump queues, but the fact that it feels like that because because they know about queues that we don't know about. Yeah. Like on paper, democratically, we could all sign up to the same things that they do. But like I said, if you realize if you if you haven't been in Sweden for ten years, then you, you're not going to be on the list that all the Swedes have been on for ten years. So that feels like they're getting ahead of you, even though democratically they're following the same process that we are. 
when it comes to landlords, they you know they are they are entitled to they don't have to put all their houses all their flats in the queue so to speak. So it's not exactly jumping the queue. They're only putting they're only putting part of their housing stock in the queue, and the rest they can dispose of as they like. I mean, it's there. We're talking often about private property. It's not just it's not public sector landlords. Often it's private landlords. They can and that's you know it's not it's not abnormal that private landlords can do what they like with their own property. But it's clear that if you have a if you know how to work the system, if you know which landlord to call. If you are a middle-aged Swedish lady, single, and are calling the are calling the landlord um, with your you know with your with your middle-aged Swedish lady voice, um, then you might be more likely to get a to get a sympathetic hearing from the landlord and be offered a place that is outside of the queue. Um, it's, is it jumping the queue? It's just part of the system. Exactly, and there's there's landlords in Malmo. I've seen that they they give you a place based on your salary. And as immigrants, maybe especially EU immigrants that don't necessarily have a job when they get here, like you can't, you don't have that kind of history of, okay, here are my last 10 pay slips. Here's what I've earned in the last five years. Look, I'm going to be able to pay my rent. You're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I have like a part-time gig here and a part-time gig there. And like, I, I can definitely pay my rent, but like, it's a little bit less stable. And obviously they're going to pick Mr. or Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Executive at, at whatever company that's been here for ages and knows exactly how the system works and has got all the paperwork completely how you want it over Mr. or Mrs. Immigrant who has kind of slightly shakier job opportunities, you know, oh, you know, their name sounds a bit strange. Maybe I'll go for Svensson instead of whatever, like, yeah. It's interesting how, like, it's been six years, but I'm still, you know, learning a few more things here every day. <laughs> and I think I would uh, probably agree to what Paul said that, you know, I, I currently maybe I fall in the 60% category right now that maybe I haven't experienced something like this firsthand. Mm-hmm. But uh, perhaps, who knows, I need to spend more time here in order to, you know, <laughs> understand the, you know, the, the little things about the system. But uh, personally, um, at this stage, no, I don't think I've experienced something like this. But uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there, there is always some kind of, uh, I would say, a trade-off, you know, and there is, uh, you kind of experience, like, for example, when you have to find rentals and the blockade, then, you know, uh, it's still easier if 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 you are a woman, uh, you know, finding an apartment at blockade, and mm-hmm. you could still, you know, go through the process and everything. But uh, in my case, so far, I think everything has been good <laughs> <laughs> lucky you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, i mean on the on the subject of cues like this isn't really queue jumping but when we were signing up my daughter to daycare like again malma has this kind of history of having a baby boom and having no places um so my husband's dad who's got um he's got a son who's seven and a son who's 12 so he's just been through the same system he was like okay Everyone puts the first date that their kid has to join preschool as the 1st of August. So put the date in as the 31st of July. And we did that and we got the place that we wanted in our, num- our number one choice of preschool. And then my friends that put it in on the 1st of August, they got like num- not even number five, but like a place not even on their list. Great tip. And we did actually need the place at that time. So I don't feel bad about it because I had a job starting on the 1st of August. So I needed to do that anyway. But that's the kind of thing you don't know about that. Like... If if someone hadn't told me to do that, I would have put the 1st of August like everyone else and would be somewhere in a different part of Malmö. So that's, that's definitely a little trick that you need to kind of be on insider knowledge to do that. This sounds like something we should do an article on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just think you're a dirty Q jumper, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a job on the 1st of August. I needed it for that day anyway. <laughs> like you say, mostly people are 
people aren't breaking the rules or jumping the queue. They're just taking advantage of of, of small loopholes that that, that that you can't see. But one thing where where people definitely did break break the rules, and I was genuinely shocked because actually I think on queuing, I think the Brits have a greater sense of fair play than the Swedes. I think I think I'm outraged by things that my Swedish friends do. That um, yeah, uh, um, when it comes to queuing, and one of the things they did is 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 when it came to school choice. A lot of my friends, I could probably name five, which I won't, because what they've done is breaking the law, <laughs> re-registered their children. I don't know if it's breaking the law, but they registered their children at the addresses of friends or they registered their whole family somewhere where they didn't actually live temporarily in order to be closer to the school they wanted. And then when they got the school, they then just relocated, re-registered back. And 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 I mean, the, and the municipality must know this is happening because I know so many people who've done it. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and, and I, I sort of say, but don't you realise that that means somebody who, who deserves that place is now having to send their child to somewhere, somewhere else. And, but they, they don't, they just don't care because it's so important to, where your kid goes to school. Well, I know people who've done that in Britain oh, as well. Really? Yeah. Rented yeah, or, right. or, rent, or rented, rented, rented a house near to the school that they have no intention of living in um, because they can afford to, but stay, but stayed living in a, in, a, in a place outside of catchment area. I've seen it happen in Britain as well. You're right. So, as We're a nation, we are. I <laughs> we are no just idea. as bad. I'm disappointed. I, I, I remember we had a neighbour moving in when I was maybe 11, and I got on really well with her. And then, like, oh, three months after she'd got into high school, they moved back to a different part of Manchester. And I was like, why have they done this? And my mum kind of sat me down and was like, OK, Becky, this is how the world works. <laughs> my mind, like, my mind was blown. My vision of, of the UK kind of started falling apart at the seams. So, yeah, no, it definitely happens in the UK. I'm so naive. I had no people, idea. People, people everywhere will use every trick in the book to get their kids into a good school. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's right, though. I, do, I say everywhere, Britain and Sweden at least. I don't know about India, maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's done that in Stockholm. I don't know what's happening down there in Malmö. The, ru- the rule of law is falling apart. If you've been enjoying the show and are not yet a member, please consider supporting The Local's independent journalism by heading over to thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer, where a subscription costs just 10 kroner for the first month. And that takes us to the end of this week's show. There's just time to thank my guests, Becky Waterton, James Savage, Richard Orange and Aradna Varma. And before we go, Aradna, where can people find Indis Kvika if they want to see you dancing? Yes, uh, so we have an official website. Uh, you can look at the website and you can find all our details and histories and the past performances. We also have a YouTube channel, uh, Indis Kvika, and uh, we're also very much active on... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns on Facebook and Instagram pages. So yeah, reach out to us if you want to dance with us. Great, thanks a lot. I think we have an article coming up about you on The Local as well. And thank you for listening to Sweden in Focus. Until next time, take care.
That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.